You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. If because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through that one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray, Father, that, Lord, you would open these words to our heart, Father. Uh, We pray that you would teach us and guide us this morning, Father, that you would lead us in all all righteousness, Father, that, Father, uh, you would indeed do the great work of transforming our hearts uh, into the likeness of your Son. Uh, May this be an installment to that end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Some of you over the years have have said to me at different times, you know, I read scripture and sometimes I'll read these passages and I'll have no idea what I've just read. And I'll read it again and it doesn't seem like it makes a lot of difference. And some of you have said that to me or smiling right now. Uh, well, join the club. Um, you know, to, to understand scripture... Uh, it requires prayer and it requires the rolling up of sleeves and it really requires a lot of labor and hard work, but it is a, it is a great process. And originally when I came to chapter five, verses 12 through 21, uh, understanding that there's a lot of overlap here, that Paul is not writing necessarily in a linear fashion where we get uh, A, then we get B, then we get C, then we get D. Uh, He's really overlapping. We'll get A, then we'll get B, and a little more A, then we'll get C, and a little more of A and B, and then D, and then a little bit of A, B, C, and D. And because of that fact, I thought, I'm going to back up and just give a bird's eye view of this whole thing. And really was pretty well determined that was what I was going to do until about Thursday of the week in which the first message on Romans 5, 12 was preached. And I thought, boy, this is a lot. This is really a lot. 
maybe we better, um, even though there's lots of overlap, maybe we better take this two verses at a time. And I'm happy that, that um, we've made that decision because many of you have, have, um, have seemed to appreciate that approach. Uh, because of that, we're going to see some overlap, but that's okay. And I want to say, you know, in regards to overlap, if you're reading the Bible or you're listening to sermons and you've ever come to the conclusion that, you know, it seems like uh, the Bible is saying the same thing over and over again and the preacher is saying the same thing over and over again. It's for the simple fact that the Bible does say the same thing over and over again and the preacher does preach the same thing over and over again. So uh, when you... Uh, when you come to realize that, I don't want you to think that something strange is going on. Uh, that's, ex- uh, that's exactly what's happening. And we have to ask ourselves in the economy of God's giving us the scriptures, why is he constantly repeating certain things over and over again? Well, let's just think about how much of the sermon we remember on a Monday morning and how much of the sermon we remember on a Tuesday morning and about Wednesday, what's going on? How much do we remember? You know, uh, one of you said to me uh, yesterday, I think it was, you know, in a sermon you preached a while back, uh, you know, there was like an animal or something. It was a um, and it was so funny. It was so, so funny. Um, It's hard to remember the details of things we've heard. And because of this, sometimes people come to the conclusion, why do we need to listen to preaching anyway? Because we're not going to remember it. And that question was once asked to Charles Spurgeon and Spurgeon answered in such such a brilliant fashion. He says, well, what did you have for breakfast last Wednesday morning? I said, well, I I don't know. He goes, well, um, there's your answer. Uh, Did the breakfast do you any good last Wednesday, even though you can't remember exactly what you ate? Uh, We have to have the spiritual food of the word of God. Uh, storing up in our hearts. Now, if I keep rambling on, we're not going to get to the text this morning. So let's start. Let, let's just go through this as a matter of review. And we'll start seeing some of the overlap. If we start at verse 12, again, verses 12, 5, 12, really through chapter 8, as I've said, is, is the basis. It's kind of the foundation of what Paul has been saying in chapters 1 through 4. Uh, it's almost like, uh, we're looking through uh, uh, we're looking through reading glasses and we still can't quite see so that we bring in some magnifiers and we begin to look through magnifiers and we still can't see so then we bring in a microscope and we start looking even down further that's what Paul is doing here and as a consequence of this you'll notice that it gets a bit more complicated if you're reading chapter 5 verses 12 through 21 and you're having trouble grappling with it don't let that bother you This is some of the most complicated, uh, not necessarily complicated things once we understand them, but it's one of the most complicated passages in in the Bible to try to sort out. Uh, So verse 12, Paul says, therefore, and he speaks of an historical event that took place. He says, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Now, Paul is making reference here to a real historical event that took place that brought the world. After this event took place, the world changed. And, it is, and the changes of that event are still with us today. In a, in a, uh, in a limited sense, uh, we could look at our own history as a nation and look at September 11th as a change that has taken place. And uh, some of us 
we'll remember a lot prior to September 11th. Uh, we can remember what life was like before there were metal detectors everywhere. I mean, you could stroll, you could stroll and catch a plane. You'd be at the airport an hour before your flight and get on the board with really very little problem whatsoever. You just stroll in and get on the on the plane and. Uh, the freedoms that we had prior to September 11th were, uh, were amazing. Sometimes when we think about it and we think about where we are now, you can't hardly go anywhere without having your bags checked, without uh, going through some kind of metal detector. My, my point is, there is an event that took place in the history of the United States that has left a lasting result with us. In fact, it's a result that seems to continue to evolve uh, in many ways. Uh, Paul is pointing to an event that took place in the history of humanity that has indeed left a result, a result that is with us today, uh, that continues to evolve. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, through Adam, through Adam's rebellion against God in the Garden of Eden, not a mythological uh, story at all, but a real man, the first man that God ever created, rebelling against God, eating the uh, forbidden fruit, uh, bringing sin into the world, and we're told that through sin came death. And this is in accordance with what we read in chapter 6, verse 23. The wages of sin is what? It's death. The wages of sin is death. So through Adam, sin comes into the world. Through Adam, death comes into the world. So death spreads to all men because all sin. Now, I've said this several times in previous messages, and I think if I said this every Sunday, I wouldn't be saying it too much. But when we read this phrase, because all sin, when we read this phrase, I think what we have a tendency to default to is we say, okay, um, this makes sense. Wages of sin is death. Adam's sin. Sin comes into the world. Death comes into the world. Adam has kids. Uh, his kids sin. So death comes to them and their kids sin and death comes to them and their kids sin and death comes to them. And that sounds simple enough, correct? But that is not what Paul is saying. It's not that this isn't true. It's true, but it's not what Paul is saying. And that's why he has given us verses 13 and 14. I want you to see why these verses are there. Um, Paul is making it very clear. He says, listen, sin was in the world before the law was given. That is before Moses gave his instructions. But he says that sin was not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. What is Paul saying? Again, as a matter of review, he's saying, listen, okay. Sin was in the world between Adam and Moses. How long of a period of time that was, we don't know. We know it was a very long period of time. And that the penalty for sin is not where there is no law. He says that where there is uh, sin is not counted where there is no law. In other words, sin is not punished where there is no law. Uh, if you're not told to pay taxes, and I'm leaving the speed limit thing alone. I'll use a different one. If you're, <laughs> I already had to go bring it up anyway, didn't I? Sorry. I was going to use taxes. We're told, we're told to pay taxes. If we don't pay tax, if we don't pay our taxes, we get into trouble. If we were never told to pay our taxes, we couldn't get into trouble for not paying our taxes. You see, so where there's no law, 
uh, there's no punishment for sin. It doesn't mean that sin doesn't exist. It just means there's no punishment for it. Uh, we know that sin existed between Adam and Moses. I mean, read, read the story of Cain and Abel. Read the story of the Tower of Babel. Read the story of the flood. We read the story of all these things. What's Paul talking about? What he's talking about, what he's moving to, is he's saying, okay, sin is not punished where there is no law, yet death is reigning. Now, how can that be possible? It's possible because when Adam sinned, every one of us went with him. That's the point he's making. And if you're looking at this and you say, you know, I think I got it. Okay, this isn't about my individual sin. That's correct. It's not about our individual sin here. Let's set that aside for a little bit. I'm not saying that that's not important, but let's put this aside. We are all collectively being held guilty for the sin that was committed by Adam. That is what Paul is talking about. And that is a very difficult doctrine for us in the West. And um, it's, it's a very important doctrine because as we begin to digest this doctrine, as we begin to digest this, we begin to understand who we are. And as we begin to understand who we are, we're going to begin to understand what Jesus has done for us. The entitlement mentality that prevails in our minds today can only prevail because we don't understand biblically who we are. That's why this is so important. We think God owes us things. We think we deserve things. We think all these things should come to us. And it creates a lot of anxiety for us when things don't work out the way that we think that they should work out. But when we come to understand who we are before God's bar, we no longer have those expectations. And we begin to see that even the good things that we have are tremendous blessings from God. And it's a completely, completely different outlook on things. That's why this is so important for us to move through very slowly. So the Apostle Paul is saying, listen, there's an event that took place in history. And this event has changed everything. It's brought the world into the realm of sin and death, and death is reigning. How many people do we have left from Adam's generation? I asked that question a couple of weeks ago. We don't have any left. How many from Moses' generation? We don't have any left. I was reading, in fact, I looked the article up this morning before the service just to refresh my memory. But in, in April, the oldest woman alive passed away. She passed away at 117 years of age. And she was the last one, she, was, she lived in Italy, she was the last one who known to have been born in the 1800s. She was born in November, some 26th or something, 1899. My great-grandmother was born in 1899. I remember asking her one, one uh, year, my, I think it was my 10th birthday, I remember asking her, and I knew that I'd get in a lot of trouble if I said, Grandma Forshee, how old are you? So I thought, well, I'll just say, you know, well, what's your birthday? That'll do it. I'll just do the math. It still got me in trouble, but she kindly answered me. I said, Grandma Forshee, when was your birthday? And she says, well, I was, and it was so interesting to talk to people from that generation. They spoke differently than we do. She'd say, well, sweetie, I was born in the year of the Lord, 1899. And after I got over the, whoa, <laughs> wow, I couldn't believe it. 
She reached in her purse and she pulled out this little Indian head penny that she'd been carrying in her purse for many years. And she says, here, sweet, I'm going to give this to you and you'll always remember my birthday. I don't think I would have forgot it anyways, but I still have the penny with me today uh, to remember uh, her by. And the, the old timers were wise too. The same moment she pulled a dollar bill out of her purse too. And she gave me that dollar bill and she said, listen, if you keep this dollar bill, you'll never be broke. And I thought, wow, what wisdom is that? So I have the dollar bill with the penny, and uh, I guess technically I've never been broke, so I've always had a dollar one uh, to my name. Uh, but anyway, uh, death reigns. Um, according to our records, this woman in Italy was the last person alive, known to be alive, from the 19th century. Uh, the second oldest woman was born in March of 1900. And my point is, death reigns. Death is reigning. It's a certainty that death is reigning. And that's Paul's point here. But then uh, Paul says something that is incredible at the very end of verse 14. He says that Adam was a type of the one who was to come. And as I said last week, it's almost, it, it, as we begin to digest this, we almost think in one sense, this is almost sacrilegious. Where having just described Adam's performance and just described Adam's failure, then in the same sentence to say that Adam is a type of Christ. Adam is like Christ. It's almost, it almost, it's almost like Paul feels the tension right away because he no sooner says that in verses 15, 16, and 17, which we looked at last week, he says, now wait a second, uh, there are some major differences here. Uh, Adam is not like Christ in every way. We need to understand. So he gives us 15, 16, and 17 to show the ways that Adam is not like Christ. Notice the words, but the free gift is not like the trespass, verse 15. And the free gift is not like the result, verse 16. See those words there. The important that we hang on to those. There's this sense where Adam is, no, listen, okay, Adam's a type of Christ, but hold on, hold on here. He's not like him in every way. And he mentions the free gift. And last week I, I developed what I believe is meant by the free gift. Sometimes you'll hear, uh, folks, Bible interpreters and scholars say, okay, the free gift is righteousness. And they get that from verse 17. If you look at verse 17, if because of one man's trespass, death reign uh, through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of what? Of righteousness. And it is said, okay, see here, we see what the free gift is. The free gift here is righteousness. And then others will say, well, Wait a second, the free gift is eternal life. If you go to Romans 6 and verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is what? Eternal life. And others will say, well, it's righteousness and eternal life. And I shared with you uh, a position that, uh, that I got from Douglas Moo, who's, who's not, of course, we're, we're not saying that these things are false by no means, but righteousness and eternal life is the result of what Christ does. And I think Douglas Moo is correct. I, I'm fully convinced that what's being contrasted here is the performance of Adam, what Adam has done. And Paul is comparison. When Paul says, listen, Adam is like Christ. Adam is a type of Christ. But wait, the performance is quite different. I think that's what's being contrasted. I think he's, I think he's 100% correct here. So the free gift here would be the work and activity of Jesus, who is the second Adam. That makes perfect sense. 
And that leads to the second point I want to make. The first point, in case no one got it, is there's been a historical event that has taken place that has changed everything. It's the rebellion of Adam. When Adam rebelled, we all fell. And if we would begin as a culture to embrace that, then we would be very interested in the second point that I want to make, which is another event took place in history, and it's the free gift. It's the work of Christ Jesus stepping into time, space, and history. God comes in Christ Jesus, lives a perfect life, offers the life at the cross for his righteousness, is crucified, dies, is buried, as the Apostles' Creed says. On the third day, he rose from the dead, and now he has ascended at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. A real historical event has taken place, and this event has changed everything because it has brought in the realm of life and righteousness to a place where death and unrighteousness has prevailed. Does that make sense? Two historical events. And at the end of the day, Christianity is about this second event, is it not? When someone says, what's the gospel? The gospel is about Christ coming, about Christ living that perfect life, God making good on his promises of the Old Testament to come and dwell among us, to dwell in our midst, to live the perfect life that we couldn't live, to offer a life on the altar of his justice so that he could be now free to offer us forgiveness based on the performance of Jesus. You see, we've all fallen based on the performance of Adam. But if we are to be redeemed, and the redeemed are redeemed by the performance of the second Adam, who is Christ Jesus. Does that make sense? And this is the doctrine we call imputation. Adam sins, and all his sin is credited to us. It's a declaration that God makes. Adam is guilty, and God declares all of us guilty in Adam. But man, in the West, this is tough. We say, that wasn't fair. I wasn't in the garden. No, you weren't. I, I wasn't in the garden either, but I became guilty in the garden. And you became guilty in the garden. And that's our problem. You see, an historical event took place that transformed us into sinners. We are sinners. We hear a, a child crying in the background. That child has been born into Adam. Now our hope here, our hope here, and the hope of the gospel is that he will be reborn into Christ and she will be reborn into Christ. Amen? As we continue on to verse 18, and we have in verse 15, we have the free gift is not like the trespass. We see the performances are different. The free gift is not like the result. We see the result is different. Adam brings condemnation. Jesus brings righteousness and life. We come to verse 18, and now Paul's going to show us how Christ is like Adam, how he is like Adam. And I want to show you something else by, by manner of housekeeping here. You remember a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned to you that verse 12 
is an incomplete sentence. And many of you will have hyphens after the word sin. How many have a hyphen after the word sin? Probably most of us. The translator is saying, listen, the sentence is kind of incomplete. And for those of who are interested, we have a just as in verse 12. Whenever you have a just as in the English language, what are you expecting to follow? You're expecting a so also. If, if I give you an if and say something, then you're waiting for me to say a then and something to complete it, right? It's kind of like going to a, it's going to a, a playing music and hitting a five chord and just leaving it ring. Hit a one chord and play a little bit, then hit a five and just leave it ring. When you hear that five chord, you're going to be like, someone please go back and play the one again to resolve that five chord. If you're musical, you're, you're going to be like, will someone resolve that? And that's what verse 12 is doing. It's, it's like there's a five chord hit. And it's, it's like, many of you might know what a five chord is, but if I played it for you here, if I hit a five chord and created that tension, you'd, you'd be waiting to hear the one chord again. You'd be waiting to hear that, whether you realized or could identify it or not. You'd be waiting to hear the resolvement. Well, the resolvement of verse 12 comes in verse 18. It comes in verse 18. Just as sin came into the world, verse 12, therefore as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so, here's the so, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. I want you to see that connection. Later today, read verse 12 and then verse 18 and read them back and forth together and you'll see they resolve one another. You'll see the five chord and the one chord if you want. Uh, you'll see they resolve. Let's look at verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. What is Paul teaching us with verse 18? I'll give you one word. One word you could maybe even write next to the verse in your Bible. It's the word certainty. The word certainty. I've been very carefully developing certainty already in this message. So it would be developed for this point. How many are left from Adam's generation? It's a certain fact that there are none left. How many are left from Moses? Certain fact, there are none left. How many are left from the 19th century? We don't know of any. Perhaps there are, perhaps there is someone still left. There can't be many. And within a few more years, there definitely will be none. It is certain that death is reigning, is it not? And the certainty of this is because of the result of what Adam has done in the garden. It's because of that historical event that has taken place in the garden. We have this certain death reigning. Does that make sense? Now, what Paul wants us to see is there's something else here that's equally certain. And that pertains to the second event that he's talking about, the free gift. Just as certain as Christ died on the cross, those whom he came to save will be saved. Those who have saving faith are meant to see in this verse that just as certain as death is reigning all around, you will also be saved. Is that a tremendous statement or what? Two historical events. In the one historical event, God declared all humankind guilty. 
based on the performance of our representative in the garden, Adam. In the second event, God declared all those whom Christ came to save, not guilty. And both declarations are equally certain. They're both equally certain. And why do we need that? Well, I think it's really obvious. I even thought about just skipping application here because I think it's so obvious. How, how many times do, do doubts intrude upon our, uh, our assurance? How often do doubts assail us and assail our assurance? And here's something we... As, look at verse 18. Just as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. And we see the certainty there. And if that isn't all, look at verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. You see, here we have disobedience, obedience being uh, juxtaposed to one another, contrasted with one another. It's a performance thing, isn't it? By the performance of Adam, we all fell. By the performance of Christ, all who are in Christ will be saved, is what's being said here. So we have a result, we have certainty, and we have a result. Does that make sense? Now, I need you to think with me a little bit here, and we'll wrap this up. There's a couple of things that need to be said here. In verse 19, many have, many have fallen in verse 19. Actually, many have fallen in, in both. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm, I want to I wanna conclude with two ways we can really go wrong with these verses. First one in verse 19. As by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Okay, we got that. Adam falls, we're transformed into sinners. So by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Okay, are we all righteous? Some of us come in here this morning with burdens as we think about the past week. We think about how unrighteous we've been at various times in the past week or past month. We need to understand that Paul is speaking in a forensic sense here. What do I mean by forensics? Forensics is something we see all the time on TV. You have your various CSIs and you have your NCIS and you have all these initials with guys with uh, blue coats on and they're carrying briefcases. And what do they go and do? They go to crime scenes. And they do all of this investigative science, this forensic science. It's science that's, that's used to uh, be able to either acquit or to uh, uh, punish the guilty. It's, it's science that's used for the judicial process, for the court process. If we think about the courts here, uh, in the court, Adam is declared guilty. And all who are in Adam is declared guilty. None of us were alive or in the Garden of Eden. We haven't seen the Garden of Eden. Yet in God's court, we were deemed guilty forensically through Adam's sin. And in the same way, in another garden, not the Garden of Eden, but in the Garden of Gethsemane, as Jesus is wrestling with the task that's before him, wrestling with the temptation not to go through with the cross, asking the Lord, saying, Lord, if there's another way, Father, if there's another way, take this cup from me. But instead of 
Instead of going to the left or to the right, Jesus says, not my will be done, but your will be done. And Jesus goes through with the cross perfectly. And as Jesus is raised from the dead, as Jesus ascends to the right hand of God the Father later, uh, forensically speaking, all who are in Christ are declared not guilty. That's what Paul means when he says made righteous. I could say a lot more about that, but that's enough for this morning. One more thing. If you look at verse 18, therefore as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. There are people who read this verse and they say, listen, this is the greatest news that we could ever have. And we would want to say, yes, it is great news. But they're saying it's great news for a different reason than what we'd be saying it's great news for. What they're saying here, and I brought this up last week, they're saying, listen, one trespass led to condemnation for how many men? For all men, all of us. There isn't a single person who's escaped it. And they say, well, look, one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for how many? It says all men. And what they say is like, you can relax. Jesus has come to save everyone. Now, wouldn't that be wonderful? I would hope all of us would would just jump up and down if, if that were the case. But that's not the case. The word all can be used to mean every single one. You know, as I look around here, so many of you were at the bonfire the other night. I could say, in a sense, enough of you were at the bonfire. They could say all of Tri-State Community Church was at the bonfire on Friday. Would that be a true statement? Some of you who are with me, would it, if I said that, or if, if there was a big game in Chester and I said, all oh, of Chester come out to the game to see the game, would that be a wrong statement? We read stuff like that and say stuff like that all the time. Do we imply that every single person in Chester was at the, at the game? Or are we implying that every single person who's affiliated with Tri-State Community Church was at the bonfire? No, we, we mean that a lot of them were. But we could also mean that all of them were. How do we determine which is which? Three things that are important in studying the Bible. What are they? Context, context, and context. I say that for the sake of the tape because I don't think that anyone would hear what you're saying. Context, context, and context. What is the context here? Well, obviously, as we read the Bible, all people are implied in the first all. Every single one. None of us escape it. We all fell in Adam. That's why we all need a Savior. But in the context of the same Bible, under the scrutiny of the same Bible, do all embrace Christ as Lord and Savior? No. In fact, just look back to verse 17. Paul says in verse 17, if because of one man's trespass, death reigned, much more will those who what? Receive. Those who receive Christ Jesus. Does everyone receive Christ Jesus? And the answer is no. Uh, this is real important. I don't think any of you believe, I don't think you're learning anything new. But the reason I share this with you is because someday you might come across someone and say, Listen, everyone's going to get saved. And here I can show you why. Look at verse 18. Read it. It says all men. See that? 
And you might not be able to remember this message. In fact, um, there's a good chance you may not be able to remember all these details. But here's what you will remember. You'll remember something's wrong. There's an explanation. No. And you won't be rattled by it. And it'll give you opportunity to go research what the explanation is again. You see what I mean? It saves, it's, 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 it's uh, it, I call it damage control. This is damage control. Uh, because there's a lot of people out there that would like to do damage to our faith. So there's some damage control. I, I have a lot more here, but judging by some of the faces, I think it might be time to wrap it up. This is heavy stuff. I, uh, I tried to lace it with a few stories to let our minds relax a little bit, but it's heavy stuff where... We're kind of stopping a little bit prematurely, but I think, I think we probably should wrap it up for this morning. Two historical events, right? You leave here remembering that. Two historical events. Both have changed everything. Amen? Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the sacred word that you've given us, without which we'd have no clue what's going on around us. Father, we thank you that as we read your word and we look around, we see that your uh, your word is complete. It doesn't need to be for Father. You've never told a lie and you're incapable of doing such. But as we look around, we see the truth empirically of what you've said uh, in your written word. Father, we recognize our uh, we recognize the, the sinfulness of our hearts this morning. And Father, we recognize that something's wrong in this world and we see that it's the result the result of this act that took place so many years ago that has brought condemnation to us all. But Father, we look and we look to the gospel and we see that there is a second event that has come and take that has taken place. And just as certainly as Adam's performance has brought condemnation, Christ's performance has brought justification in life. So, oh, Father, we pray that you would press these things upon us. And, Father, if there's anyone here this morning who's yet to trust Christ in a saving way, we pray, Father, that you would use uh, this message and you would use your word, oh, Father, uh, to, uh, bring, uh, to bring this person or these persons home to you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.